the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmsted, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. My special guests today are John and Susan Kammer. And they're with Vision House here in the uh, Puget Sound area. John and Susan, welcome to Heart of the City. Thank you. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Well, you and I have just uh, met here today and have a chance to just catch up a little bit. And uh, this this program, Heart of the City, we like to share uh, the stories of how people came to faith. And then out of that uh, obedience to the Lord comes ministry, oftentimes. And so uh, we've got two of you here, and we've got a short amount of time. So I want to get right to it as far as kind of hearing your hearts as far as what the Lord's calling you to do, but then kind of go back to see how you got to where you are. So, Susan, we'll start with you first. You are a Washington native? native? Yes. yes. Yes, I oh. am. Born in, and raised in Tacoma, Tacoma, in Tacoma. Washington. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. what was life like for you in Tacoma as a child? Uh, raised on a farm with a great family, three sisters, and um, uh, went to church as a, as a little girl, but, um, you know, didn't really understand uh, the love of the Lord fully, um, came to know Jesus at a um, camp, you know, youth camp out at Lake Retreat, mm-hmm. and uh, I think maybe I was about 10, 10, 11 years old at the time, and uh, that was the first time I met Jesus, and then uh, when you're young, sometimes you think that you have to keep asking him into your heart every six months or so because yeah. <laughs> you kind of messed up and you you kind of had some sins in your life, so you felt like you had to keep um, asking Jesus to forgive you and come back into your life. Um, <laughs> took me a while before I realized that he never abandoned me. Uh, right, you know, he right. Was, he was there all along. Yeah, yeah. So so um, your teenage years were, were um, following the Lord? Well, no. Was was anyone's really? <laughs> and mine was probably similar to a lot of people that, um, you know, I, I kind of fell away from the Lord a little bit. And um, then uh, later, about 21, 22 years old, I um, met what was going to be my husband. And uh-huh. he was a, a new Christian and had that great fire for the Lord, you know. And I just loved that and remembered, oh, yeah, I liked living that kind of life, you know. Yeah. I, I, do love the Lord, and I do love um, seeing His hand in my life. And yeah. and so then, um, as we grew in our relationship, we grew in our relationship with the Lord as yeah. well. How did you meet John? <laughs> I was. We met at a health club. I was the aerobics instructor, and um, he was a, a big workout guy. And and um, 
he he would come out and get drinks of water and watch my class and I thought wow that guy sure needs a lot of water I wonder what's <laughs> what's wrong with him and, and then Thirsty. I st- <laughs> then I started to realize oh I guess he's checking me out and, and, and then the the program manager there said I think that guy likes you and and uh, sure enough we we hit it off and and um, developed a relationship from there. It's always interesting, whether we're junior high, seventh grade, or, or 21 years old, we still have that uh, awkwardness, don't we, you know, about all those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah thanks for asking. That's a fun story to remember. Yeah. So, John, how about you? Did you grow up in this area? Yeah, I grew up in Burien, Washington, and attended Highline High School, and then after graduating, I went off to Spokane Falls Community College, uh, actually, I went to several colleges. It took me five years to get through four at three different colleges. So I went to Whitworth for a year, and then I ended up two years at PLU and graduating. My story's a little different. I didn't really know the Lord growing up. I grew up in a home that was pretty abusive. Um, my parents were alcoholics, and uh, my siblings, I had a brother that was four years older than myself, and then I had two sisters. One was seven and 11 years. Uh, with the war, my folks um, took time out in between the World War II and the Korean War and, and then had children. So there was a great age difference at that time in our lives. Uh, so, yeah, I grew up in that environment. And I only thing I got satisfaction out or, or, or really any type of uh, reward or self-esteem was around sports. So I was a good athlete, and that's what took me to college. Growing up in the home with my parents, um, it was a struggle just to find out who I was identity-wise, that we pretty much could do what we wanted to do. Um, So I didn't have much uh, leadership in my house or anybody really to mentor me. Um, So over the course of time, through coaches and a next-door neighbor who was the vice principal at Franklin High School that took me under his wing, um, who had a Catholic background and kind of planted some seeds with me a little bit as it relates to faith. Went to college. Uh, like I said, I went to Spokane Falls, uh, played baseball and football there with small college All-American baseball. I uh, was looking to go to a four-year. Uh, Whitworth um, came and approached me, and I thought a Christian school. I had no idea what that looked like mm-hmm. other than they were going to give me a scholarship and pay for all my school, and, and my roommate was going to go there and play football. So I thought, well, this is cool. I'll just go there. And so I went there, and, and you know, Lord's hand was in this the whole time. And I remember specifically, we were we were sitting down at the cafeteria, and Butch was a friend of mine, and we looked over, and we saw these two girls, and they we thought, these are really attractive girls. Maybe we'll go talk to them. So we picked our plates up and started to walk over there, and they bowed their head and started to pray, and we just kind of turned around and walked away and said, this ain't our gig, we're out. So, so you know, and, and you know, little did I know, uh, a few years later, I would be dying to, to, to meet a girl that had a great faith. But so I went to Spokane Falls for, for a year and um, had a good baseball season, uh, but had a really a terrible attitude. Um, uh, in fact, at the end of the year, the coach said, John, you can come back and go to school here, but I don't want you on the baseball team. And that was like a shock to me. And I thought, cause I had, I had aspirations playing professional baseball, you know, I, I and so I said, I got to find another play, place to play ball. So I started looking over at other colleges, looked at the teams that I had really good games against, um, the previous year to see, okay, who could I contact? And um, so I contacted several schools, but PLU, another Christian school, decided to contact me and, and offered me a scholarship. And so the next thing I know, I'm on my way to PLU to play baseball. And at, at that's the point where God got my heart. I was just really 
just living a life that was for me. Um, anything I could get out, anybody I could use. If, you, if Unless you could benefit me, you weren't my friend at that time. And then I met a couple guys that were playing ball. In fact, one of them was Scott Westring uh, from PLU and uh, Garth Warren, who's another great brother, that kind of took me under their wing and, and I got to know them and realized how bad my life was and mm. how screwed up I really was. Um, and over a course of a month or two, they led me to the Lord and I accepted my Lord, uh, accepted the Lord my senior year in college and never looked back. What and year was that? That was in, uh, 82. Wow. Yeah. So. I have some good friends that, uh, pastors that, uh, were part of the football program at PLU and there was a strong, um, you know, work down there with, yeah. with, uh, the students and, and, uh. A lot of a lot of people came to know the Lord yeah, through PLU yeah. and some of the ministry campus ministries down there. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, you know, with the outreach and just the uh, family atmosphere. You know, mm-hmm. after I accepted the Lord, it was like I was a rock star. You know, you know, it was amazing <laughs> how people came around me, and it really it really demonstrated God's love and God's community um, and acceptance. Uh, you know, because they knew what I was like before, and. Um, so it was kind of a Paul experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's fast forward, and because we definitely want to talk about Vision House and and what what uh, were some of the seeds that were planted in your heart as a young person that mm-hmm. that that helped you to to go on to to work in this ministry right. to help start this. Well, ministry. you know, I, when I got out of college, um, I went into work in corrections. So I worked in prison and jails for fifteen years prior to starting Vision House. So the, the Lord kind of planted a seed through my own childhood, which I shared a little while ago as far as growing up, that I saw what a wrecked home can do to kids and how important a healthy environment was. And so I went, when I went to work in the corrections department, I started off as an officer at Shelton Washington Correctional Center, and I worked my way up and eventually ended up at Snohomish County Jail Work Release as a counselor and administrator. And through that experience, I knew that there were people that were getting out of jails and prisons that needed a place to go. Um, But what I didn't realize is that um, there's actually moms and people out there that aren't drug addicts, that aren't thieves, that just need help and uh, that need housing. And so um, one night, Susan and I were watching this movie called God Bless the Child. And we were watching that TV, and we had our own six-month-old next to us. And the movie depicted a mom um, in New York area becoming homeless, really no fault of her own. It showed her going through with an eight-year-old daughter the system of going to shelters, to, um, to, to transitional housing, and just nothing was really working. And she just didn't have the support that she needed. Um, she had no family. Um, she ended up in shelters. And eventually, she ended up her daughter got lead poisoning, ended up in the hospital. But to make a long story short, um, she ended up giving her child up f- for adoption, um, and actually not adoption, but she kind of abandoned her child to go into foster care because that's the only way she could see herself getting out of the system. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of broke Susan and I's heart that night. We were watching that movie, and we, like I said, we had our own six-month-old child, and we said, did this really happen? I mean, she's not a bad parent. She's not a drug addict. She's not a prostitute. She just didn't have any resources. So we prayed that night, and I kind of made a promise to God if I woke up as excited as I went to bed that I would do something about it. So the next morning we woke up, and I said, you know, I still have this fire in my heart that I need to look into this and see if, you know, what what are you trying to tell me, God, here? Do you want me to work with an organization, start an organization? What does this look like? So I began knocking on doors, talking to transitional housing units, shelters, churches, and found out very quickly there was a huge need in our community for housing and support, and then also a Christian-based 
grace aspect of that, of uh, an avenue that you could share your faith with these men and women and let them know there's a better life other than what they're leading. Um, so as we opened those doors, um, uh, Susan was working full-time uh, running a business, and um, I said, okay, how do we do this? How do you start a nonprofit? You know, I just, I, I just feel convicted that there wasn't enough resources out there. And there was a lot in the city, but not out in the rural areas. Um, so I uh, talked to some transitional housing units and met with some people downtown. And they said, well, there's a program. HUD offers a program. If you're a nonprofit organization and you provide housing for homeless, they'll lease you homes for a dollar a year up to three years. And I said, well, that's great. Cause that's about what I have as a buck. So that yeah. worked out real well <laughs> being first married. Right. Uh, so I got, got, you know, developed a nonprofit organization, got some board members and began pursuing this. Well, most of the houses initially they were sending me were like needing $30,000, $40,000 of rehab. And I certainly didn't have it at that time. Getting discouraged, about ready to give up, get a call and say, hey, John, there's a house in Lake Stephen that's been lived in for only 18 months. All you have to do is move the beds in if you want it. So I went up and checked it out. It was perfect. Moved beds in, and we started the program. Now, we started Vision House initially with the men's program, Men Recovering from Drugs and Alcohol, because that was my background. So in Lake Stephens, we opened our first house, had four guys move in. And the structure is similar to what it is today, but this is less, I guess, less resources. Um, we would provide a recovery Bible study once a week. We would meet with the men on a weekly basis to go over goals, um, you know, look for ho- look for other permanent housing, jobs, skills, whatever they needed. We kind of did an initial assessment when they moved in and then helped support these guys. So we, we ran... Um, we ran that program for four years, and we added three additional men's home. And then that's about the time Susan really put a burden on Susan's heart to um, start a single mom's home. Because why can't we just get one of these homes and do a single mom's home? And so about that time, she really felt the Lord was leading her. I'll let, I'll let her tell a little bit about yeah. that story. Yeah, and that's when the original vision came back to life, you know, um, in 1994 when we... When we um opened the single mother's home. Um, at the time, I was um, staying at home, had a, a baby on my hip, and um, we started getting phone calls from homeless moms with kids uh, who needed housing. We didn't have a family program yet. And just hearing their stories and just their desperation um, just really it broke my heart, and it made me realize that um, the time had come that we needed to open our single mom's home. Hmm. You know, this morning, <clears throat> as I was reading... Uh, the Psalms, actually, I came across this verse, and I was thinking about this interview that we were going to do today. It's Psalm sixteen nine. It says, "No wonder my heart is glad, and I rejoice. My body rests in safety." And I was thinking about that because I was going to ask you this question: What happens to the children who are homeless when they're really not in a safe place? Can they really ever rest? You know, is do their bodies really get rest when they're when there's this uneasiness and there's this insecurity about a, a place to live or exactly, that yeah. familiarity? And yeah. so there's there's this breakdown that happens physically as well as emotionally, mm-hmm. isn't there? That that happens <laughs> right. to a, a absolutely. Who's there's homeless. anxiety that the children deal with. They can't concentrate in school, which puts them behind in education. 
and family dynamics, you know, um, so many struggles that a, that a child has when they're homeless. How, how can they su- succeed if they don't have that stability, um, not only physically, roof over their head, but um, emotionally as well? Because hmm. mom's stressed out, you know, she can't be there for the child because she's dealing with all of her own issues. So, mm-hmm. so it's, it's really difficult for the kid. Yeah, I was just uh, sharing with uh, one of my my relatives who uh, has worked up in the Marysville School District in food services, and and so so much of what they're doing now is preparing um, meals for children who are homeless, mm-hmm. who have who take things home, <laughs> right. you know, to help mm-hmm. feed the other kids or for the weekends and that sort of thing because they have no food. Right. You know, and that's happening here. And most people don't really realize it, do they? No, they don't. And one thing that we do at Vision House, you know, the reality is we have more children than we do moms and dads in our program. So Mm -hmm. we have um, really focused with our youth and family advocates to work with the children in our program, work with the school district to help them um, fully understand and help them to become a better person. Uh, and understand what they're dealing with and give them the support and love because they are emotionally and cognitive of, often behind. And so how can we walk alongside these kids and, and build them up and help them uh, succeed in whatever they do? And so we send them to camp. Um, we have all kinds of tutors that come in and work with our kids around school. So it's just so critical at that age because they're so it's so informed at that age. They're their bodies are just starting to understand who they are cognitively they're developing so the more that we can walk alongside these kids with our staff and volunteers they may have a huge part in this as well and the other kids. thing that i think that is so important is just having sympathetic caring adults in the lives yeah. of the kids so um the parents you know great we want strong healthy parents to be able to lives in the kids but um if you can get sympathetic caring adults you know big brothers big sisters you know people just to love the kids and and give them just that practical support you know and and in if you listen to John's testimony there was that guy that was in his life the um you know bill, bill who was family, the yeah. Uh, mentor yeah vice a, principal a mentor vice principal and John really attributes that relationship to getting him out um, out of a bad situation into a more positive, you know, lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so the more that we can be that sympathetic, caring adults in the lives of kids who are struggling, um, I think that's really good, a good, great yeah. thing. Well, you're listening to Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, and with me today is uh, John and Susan Kammer, and they're with Vision House. And if you want to know more about Vision House, you can go to nohomelesskids.org is, is the... Uh, is the URL for Vision House, nohomelesskids.org. So you've had this vision, that you caught this vision back uh, years ago. And uh, before we move on to talk about more about vision, tell me a story. Tell me about somebody who you've helped and what their life, yeah. what, what yeah. happened in their life. Well, I can sit here and tell stories all day. <laughs> um, we've had many changed lives. You know, also, we've had a lot of heartaches as well. But what comes to mind, I think of a mom who uh, moved in with us and had two kids, um, really came from abusive situation, uh, growing up in home, similar to mine, but under the mom's care, where her mom was a heroin addict, uh, guys in and out of the house. Um, eventually, um, she became a heroin addict, and, and she specifically said one time, and this kind of rings home, she said, 
when I came high, came home high from heroin my first time, my mom looked at me and smiled and she said, welcome to the club. Mm. And it's like, mm. what? 11 years old, 12 years old, and this is going on and it's acceptable? So eventually um, she was addicted and eventually she got pregnant and her mom kicked her out uh, of the home. And so she started moving from shelter to shelter. And over a course of time, um, living in shelters, uh, she started getting some help and realizing she didn't want her child to be raised like this, but didn't know what to do, um, didn't understand how to get out of it. But eventually she did end up a shelter and she ended up contacting us and we uh, went through a pretty extensive interview process with her um, and told her that, you know, if you wanted to come live here, it's just not a place to throw your head. You'll have to do work. We want you to be successful. You know, we're not going to tell you what your goals are. We're going to listen to you and hear what your goals are and help you be supportive. Well, she thought that was the greatest thing in the world. And so eventually over time she did get accepted to our program and she moved in and she walked into the apartment that we give her, and it was like um, immediate rest. You mm. know, I, I don't have to run. I don't have to worry about where I'm going to stay. I don't have to worry about how am I going to get the kids to daycare. So it was just just in the moving in process began part of the healing process. And so usually we give the moms, you know, three weeks to a month to settle in. And we, we work with them, but we really don't press them on goals and so forth until they get settled in. So she was with us for a couple years, and we just saw great progress. Um, her child started to thrive in school. Um, she got her GED, went on to college as well, and working on a college, got a full-time job, and was working regular hours at her job. Um, really started the healing process, started going to counseling, uh, started understanding the trauma that was in her life, and that that's always going to be a part of who she is, but it doesn't have to define who she will be. And so we worked for two years, and it was just a blessing. She got into permanent housing. We helped her get into prison housing, and we, we help families when they move out. We give them furniture and things like that, maybe last month's deposit if we if it's appropriate for us to give them. So that was just a great success story. Yeah, and, yeah. and just, um, yeah, I can see those kids' faces, and it, it's just amazing. That's why I do what I do. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, right, you know I, I'm serve as a director of operations, and I don't have a lot of contact, direct contact with the residents. Uh, but when I do and when I'm opportunity comes, I thrive for that because that's what keeps me going. Yeah. You know, hearing these stories, hearing my case managers talk about this, just it's amazing. It's well, amazing. our Lord is, is someone who restores, isn't he? Yes. And, and yes. I think about when you restore furniture, there's a process that goes through, <laughs> you know, whether it's stripping it down and then staining and then finishing or whatever, sanding. And the Lord really does the same thing in our lives, doesn't he? There's, yep. for, for the lives of these women and these children, in that process of restoration, there's these benchmarks that right. occur and that are beautiful to watch. And really, a verse that comes to mind that we kind of hold, heart, uh, hold to our heart at Vision Houses is Jeremiah 29. For it says, For I know the plans for you. I have you, I declare the Lord, plans that prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do. I mean, that's, you know, uh, God is a good God. Amen. And uh, we try to instill that verse within our residents and realize they're our hope. Well, we've got a couple minutes left. Tell me about what's going on with uh, the, your work there at Shoreline. Yeah. So um, we have a complex in Shoreline. We have our main complexes are in Renton. 
In Shoreline, there off of Ballinger Way, we have a, a complex. We have 12 units right now with an after-school program. We just got permits to build our new building, which will be adjacent to that, and we're just about ready to break ground. The next week, we'll start shoveling some dirt around. Mm-hmm. So we're really excited. $3.3 million project. Um, we will house another 10 families and a daycare for 56 kids, which I didn't mention. We also run a daycare in Renton for 89 kids, which is a huge component of our ministry as well to help these moms be able to get into good daycare and not have to travel a long distance. So we're about ready to start that launch our capital campaign, and we're excited. We, we've partnered with Polygon Homes, who is our building captain. Uh, they have uh, Master Builders Association of Washington is a has a philanthropic arm that helps um, nonprofits to build houses and wheelchair ramps and so forth. So they've come alongside us, and they'll come in with probably about $1.5 million worth of donated labor and service on this project. And then we have to raise the balance. And that's pretty much how we've built our building. So we serve as a developer and a service provider in our project. And we're excited. We're excited to partner with them and see how the Lord's going to bring this about. We still have to raise about a million dollars. So yeah. if anybody has any loose change in their pocket, <laughs> feel free to call us. <laughs> well, well, they can call you. It's area code 425-228-6356. And the, uh, the website is nohomelesskids.org. And there are volunteer opportunities, aren't there? Talk talk to me for a minute about that. Yeah, well, there's volunteer opportunities to help with the construction aspect as well as um, mentoring our uh, our children or providing um, uh, some services around tutoring and then also helping out in the office. You name it. You think of any business, any activity, we can use volunteers in some capacity or another. So if you are interested, you can go on to our website, and there's a volunteer tab. Just click on that, and I'll tell you all the different volunteer opportunities. You can fill out the application, then our volunteer coordinator will call you and meet with you and see what you're interested in. Well, you know, as I was listening to you tell your story about Vision House, I, I I can think of churches who want to do something about the homeless situation. And and you all have really got the format to make that happen, don't you? I mean, yep. uh, they you, you've you already done the, some of the heavy lifting, and so they can plug in through the organization as a church or, or someone who, an individual who just says, I've got a heart for this and I want to help support what you all are doing. And so they can go to... Uh, nohomelesskids.org check it out there's ways to give there's ways to check out to volunteer and and John and Susan I want to thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City thank you we're thank glad you. to be here glad to be here very fun <laughs> God bless you've been listening to this 820 AM the word special Heart of the City for more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM the word call Chuck Olmstead. 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com Three-star general Michael J. Flynn head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to He understood its funding He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors This set off alarm bells the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.